we're talking about the subject of have you. It's a form of a question. This is number seven in a series. We talked about that we should be ready always to give an account to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is within us. And the other one was in 2 Timothy 2 where we talked about being a workman. We should show by our life that we've learned something, that we know something. That was the whole point of those two verses, that our experience in a church as a body of believers, as Christians, has improved things in our life so much that it's obvious to those around us that God is changing us. And this is a change that continues to take place. But we have to ask questions along the way to see if you have engaged what God has said or have you done this or has this happened in your life? Number one, have you been born again? You might be surprised how many people have only joined a church. They were raised in a particular church. I was in a Christian church. My mother was Christian. My dad was a Catholic, but raised in a Christian church, learned the Christian church ways, became a member of the Christian church. I was never saved, but I was able to do what I was required to do by the people. And so have you been born again? Has your life been in a continual change since the day you say you were born again? Or are you still that moody, difficult person you used to be, weak in all your decisions and failing and faltering all the time? Are you like that? Because if you've been born again, things should happen upward. Things should change. Second question is, have you, have you been baptized in water? Not much emphasis is put on that in all churches. Some churches, that's about all they emphasize. But have you been baptized in water? Again, in the New Testament, you couldn't find a place where somebody was born again or saved, as we call it, without immediately or right after that being baptized in water. And so that was very important in the New Testament church. It was a sign to those about you that I have embraced Christ and what he did, he died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and baptism is a symbol of all of that. You're lowered into a watery grave, your sins are washed away, you're raised up to walk in newness of life. It was a public testimony to the world that you have received Christ into your life and you're walking in his ways. Third question was, have you received the Holy Spirit? And as most people say, well, you got that when you were saved, you'd have to go to Acts chapter 8 to prove that. Because at Acts chapter 8, they heard the word, they received the word. There was much joy in that place. They were baptized. I would assume that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that they had done that. But when the disciples at Jerusalem heard that the folks in Samaria had received the word of God, and when you say receive the word of God, remember the verse that Peter wrote. He said, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's the power that God gives to change a man's life. It's changing ours now. But if when they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who having come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And so from that point on, you'll find that it was a, it was a subsequent experience. Now, not everybody believes that today. In fact, most Christians don't. Most Christian churches don't. Christian meaning Christian 
all forms of Christianity. But it doesn't matter. We don't base what we believe. I don't. I don't base what I believe on what everybody's doing. Or if I can see something myself, and I trust you like this yourself, if I can see it in the Word, I'll believe it. I may be persecuted for it. I may be slandered for it or spoken down because of it. But if it's in the Word, I'll believe that. And fourth question we asked last time was, have you joined yourself to a local assembly, a local church? The word church, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. The word for church is assembly. Church technically means building. But the word for church in the New Testament, ecclesia, means assembly. And a New Testament church was an assembling of saints. Now, the problem we mentioned last week about the church, and it's a very controversial subject. We don't talk about it much, so it's not much of a controversy to us. But down through history, and if you bring the subject up and begin talking about it, depending on the various religious persuasions you're around, it becomes a pretty uh, touchy subject about the local church. Because most people have been affected, their attitude about a local assembly has been affected by teachings that came out long, long ago in the Reformation period in which there was a discussion about an invisible church or a visible church. The Catholic Church equated the church with the kingdom, that all who were born into Christ, were born into his kingdom, which was the Catholic Church. And therefore, the Catholic Church being the only method, mode, or way of or to salvation, if you were a Christian, you were a Catholic. Or if you were born, again, you were born into the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, which is everywhere, they referred to it as the visible, probably mystical church. The Catholic Church was all over the place, and all over the world. Then Luther, who was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, just you know, the time before the Reformation in the 1500s, he, he knew that he was saved. But he knew he wasn't a Catholic. So as he began to search the Scriptures, and he, he realized that when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you, and he came up with the, with the idea that the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom because it is within us. And everywhere in the world there is a Christian, there is a kingdom. I mean, there is this invisible kingdom, this invisible church, you might say. And so a lot of confusion came out of that because with that idea, the, the, the reformers taught that you may or may not be a part or a participant, or a member, if you want to call it that, in a local church. But whether you are in a local church or not, you are still a member of that other church. And they say, well, what is that other church? You know, the, uh, the big one. You know, the one, uh, the one that we can't see that's missing. That, you know, we're all a part of that. And so that's what I belong to, which to them and to all those for centuries that have followed, membership or participating or being a part of a local assembly has become an option. You know, it's, it's a thing we should do. But if you don't do that, it doesn't really matter that much because you're still, your name is written in a book in the bigger church, the other church out there. 
Now, what, they, what they're referring to is that Jesus spoke about his kingdom. I think everybody that is born again is born into the kingdom of God. And that, that is a kingdom also that we're being prepared for. It is also what will be set up on the earth when Jesus comes. And those that qualify will be made, you know, visibly and manifestly and operating within the kingdom, which Christ is as the head of the kingdom. He's the king and we'll be under him and we'll reign and rule with him. But the idea that has been fostered by this invisible universal church down through the centuries has, has caused Christianity just something you belong to, you're a part of. And as far as a local church is concerned, if you don't like this one, go to another. If you don't like that one, go to another. And if they're all boring, don't go to any of them. Because, you see, it's not necessary. N none of that has anything to do with whether or not you're in the big church. And consequently, you have uh, a lot of problems that come up with attitudes in the church, and you still do today. Most people still, most people, maybe most of you, maybe some of you, I don't know, I hope none of you, but there's still a lot of people who view a local assembly as something we should participate in and be a part of, but it's not necessary. I mean, you should, but if you don't, you're still going to heaven. And when you begin to search the scriptures, you begin to find that's not really what the Bible teaches at all. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, of course, you have to be born again. And when you're born again, where in the New Testament is there such a thing as a man or a woman being a Christian and not in a local assembly functioning there? There was no such thing as a cruisomatic or a lone ranger out there independent. I was in an area one time where a man uh, uh, I remember talking to, you know, you talk to a lot of people when you travel as much as I used to travel. You run into a lot of people and have a lot of conversations. And uh, I remember a man one time felt that he was a part of this bigger church and therefore he was free to go into any local church he wanted to because he was a part of that too. So he didn't have to belong, didn't have to be accountable didn't have to demonstrate, didn't have to prove. He could just, because he in his own mind was a part of the big church, the unseen, undefined church, he was rightfully able to go to any assembly anywhere in his town or city or village and be a member there and be a part of it because we're all members together, the one big church in the sky. And he would go into churches without knowing who the pastor was, pass out literature to other members in that church, and uh, give them information different than their pastor had been teaching them, causing confusion and disruption and all of that, because his attitude was that I belong to the big church. You can't put me out of any church because my name is in the big one. You can't put me out of that one. And so you have these Lone Ranger unpastorable. Is that a word, unpastorable? not able to be pastored type of people. And I've run into a few of those. None of them that I guess I've ran into had a definition of what a local church is. I gave it to you last week. Let me repeat it. A local church is a visible, autonomous, that means not under anybody else's oversight. We don't have a big church somewhere that tells us what to do. We're independent of all other churches and people. We're self-governing, in other words. Uh, it's a visible, autonomous body with Christ 
as the head, consisting of born-again members who have been properly baptized and are brought together or gathered together by the Spirit for the purpose of fellowship, teaching, and observing the ordinances of the church, all in accordance with the biblical record. That is, we go by the Bible. All the things that we do, we do it according to the Bible. Now, there never was a time in church history that you had an option to that. Unless you say the person who would have an option to that would be somebody in jail, in prison, who got saved and couldn't get out of jail to join himself to a body, or maybe somebody who was in a nursing home or an invalid some way but were Christian but couldn't obviously take care of themselves and be a part of the church, or uh, maybe somebody who was married somewhere and they cannot leave their husband or their wife to go join themselves to a church somewhere. And so there are exceptions, but they're rare, I think. And I think that we have a conviction, we should have a conviction as Christians that since God has saved us and since he gave the church, a few weeks ago I taught about this, about God's way for a worthy escape, then since he made a provision for us called the church and since he has put in the church ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and because within those confines he's given us gifts and the anointing resides on these things, then when he saves us, he puts us in one of those. We all belong somewhere. And no man, no woman as a Christian is free to roam about having as an option going to any church you want to, if you want to, when you want to, or God forbid, as you want to. Because I've seen people dressed in pretty wild ways going to church and that kind of stuff. But there was never a time in which it was an option, and uh, it was always a realization that if you're in a church, you're a member of a local assembly. Yes, there is a kingdom. Yes, God said about his kingdom upon this rock, I will build my church, and every born-again believer is a part of that, and that's the bigger picture. <laughs> but he said when it comes down to where we function Again, where we find our seat, where we begin to grow, overcome, and learn is in the context of a local assembly. God did not put a variety of churches in the community for different kind of persuasions. He did not have a Methabadby Presbycostal conglomeration of churches so that, uh, well, now I kind of like it this way. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we want. It's all about us finding out what he wants and then submitting ourselves to that, becoming a part of that, and in that way growing and finding favor and grace with the Lord. And your attitude about the local church is very, very important because, uh, again, how you think how your, how your mind works about what we're doing here tonight will determine just how reliable, dependable a part you are of a church, of a local assembly. And concerning that, you know, I don't know anybody that knows after a while anyway. Nobody would know you better than the pastor would. Would you imagine I would know who's here most of the time and who isn't? 
I know there's people who live a long way from here who come on Sundays and maybe they work late and they can't be here every night. But there's also uh, those who could but choose not to. That's a choice. Now, I know there's things that come up. We all know that. We're not talking about the exceptions. But I'm saying that God brought us together, puts us in one place, and the question is, have you joined yourself to a local assembly? Now, if you have, then you'll accept what, what all the Lord has about it and what he wants to say to us. Again, the reformer said you may or may not be a part of a local assembly. You may be a part of a local assembly. You just, that's just not what you're geared for. But it doesn't affect your name written up in heaven. has no effect upon what God has for you in the end, in eternity. You see, there are lots of people who say like this with that attitude. Well, I don't believe going to church saves you. Well, I don't know who teaches that. I don't believe going to church saves you. So therefore, I don't have to go to church because I know I'm saved. If you argue with that, there's no scripture for it. But that's the attitude. It's that independent spirit that's in the church today. You know, I'll go when I want, if I want, as I want, and I'll let no preacher tell me what I have to believe. And you have that in the church too. People like that are real easy to pastor. They're, they're very cooperative, and uh, they get along. They're never in trouble. You never have to deal with anything. They're never talked about. On the contrary, what I said is not true. But how they get that kind of an attitude, I don't know. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they heard it from their parents. I don't know. But they didn't learn it from the Bible. I'll tell you something else. If you're born again and you're a Christian, your life is no longer yours. What you're obligated to now as a Christian is to live according to God's plan. That's what Christianity is. This is the way as he reveals it in the Bible, and you don't just know his way. Somebody has to teach us his way. God sent the Holy Spirit to inform us of these things. And so once you begin to see that this is the way God wants you to walk, you don't have a right to say, well, I don't want to do that, or I don't see it that way. You have no right to do that. You can say that, and you can even do that, but, but you're not right. So when God brings us together, when God started his church on the day of Pentecost, and I believe that's when it started, and he began adding daily or weekly members to it because the Bible said he added to the church. He didn't save people and then leave them alone. He added them to the church. At that time, there wasn't an option of churches. There wasn't a pick and choose which one you liked the best. Churches were in homes then. They weren't big churches. They were small churches. But when the whole church came together... On occasion, like when Paul traveled to a town and he got the whole church together and all these house churches came together, met out in the field somewhere or wherever they could all be. <clears throat> they had all their elders or their leaders in each of the homes, the pastors, and he would speak to them. But there was no such thing as not being a part of that. And you couldn't just leave one and go to another one. You wouldn't be accepted because there was, there was a biblical mandate for how a church was to function. There was a thing called church discipline, that if people didn't do right and they were put out of the church, they, didn't, they couldn't go anywhere else then. Today, biblical discipline means nothing. You put somebody out of a church for some bad sin, so what? I go to another one. They don't even miss it because it doesn't mean anything to them. 
because things have developed that way down through the years in people's attitude about the local church. You talk about the things that this attitude has done to people. Take, first of all, think of the indifference that people have to the church. They're a shallow attitude. I've, I've been talking about it. You know, it's good to go to. Oh, they got a nice church there. Oh, there's a nice little church over here. Yeah, they, oh, I like to go over there, this and that. That's the way we were raised and that's the way we thought. And we are free to just go to any of them as we please, if we please. I'm not talking about if you had to go visit somebody some, somewhere and you went to church with them. I'm, not, I'm talking about where we live. Shelby Town, Kentucky, for us and wherever y'all live out there in the electronic world. But we just have an indifference towards the uh, local church because the church, the local church is an option. You can belong to it if you want to, but you don't have to because it doesn't jeopardize your salvation. A lot of people think like that. Look, I know I'm saved. My name's in heaven. I don't have to go to church. I went to the altar of prayer a few years ago. I got saved, and if I don't want to go to church, I don't have to, but I guarantee you this, it doesn't, change, it doesn't alter my salvation any. I can do what I've always done. Now, I don't believe that, and I don't think you do either. I believe everybody that's ever been born again, legitimately and truly born again, changes their life. They don't say what the way they were. They change. If they don't change, they weren't born again. I still remember that car salesman telling me years ago, he said he was telling me how saved he was, and he said if he died drunk in the arms of a, a lady of the evening, and he died in her arms inebriated, how's that? He'd go to heaven. I said, yeah. And the Lord would say, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, yeah. And the Lord would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't think so. I don't think saved people do that. Do you? I don't think saved people would allow themselves to do that. I think saved people would rebuke the thought of even doing that. And if you think you can do that and you're all right with the Lord, you are, you are mega deceived. But... That kind of deception has been fostered by this shallow, indifferent attitude about the local church. Take in the local church the indifference to responsibilities, to be a participant, to, uh, to assist, to help, to, uh, to do things for others or do things in the church. It just it doesn't mean much. I don't care how much you like where you are. If the company you works for said, we're going to send you to Kansas City or Dallas... Now, you're making $60,000 a year with us. We're going to send you down there, and you're going to make $150,000 a year. Well, who would stay somewhere for less money because of a church? Churches are everywhere. You know what people say? Churches are everywhere, and they don't see the big picture. God didn't put you in churches. He put you in a particular assembly, a place where you belong. It is not your choice to get up and go anytime you want to, if you want to, and as you want to. That's the spirit of lawlessness. But most people are allowed to do that because, after all, what's the preacher going to say? He's hired. He's paid to do what he's doing. He's put in a place that, that he functions according to the school that taught him how to function, to do it this way or this way, and he knows to avoid this and avoid that. And if his people want to leave and move and go somewhere else, he, he can't say much about it. He'll get fired. And that's the view a lot of people have of a local church. 
And so they don't have a lot of regard for it. They don't have a lot of regard for the preacher. Well, they would say it. He's an employee of the church. This body of believers found themselves a preacher and paid him to come and preach to them. And so he does. He goes out and he works for them. And people just let that be as it is. They're slack in this and they're not interested in that. They don't want to help a lot of people. Some people do, of course. But it's produced in the church a self-serving, self-centered attitude in Christianity. We don't mind fighting and fussing with each other because if we leave, we'll just go somewhere else. The idea that God specifically chose me out of the miry clay and brought me to him and specifically put me somewhere just doesn't fly with a lot of people. Because God saved me, but now after he saved me, I can do whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. That's not in the Bible. It really isn't. In the New Testament sense, a person who is a part of a body sees the body as the focus of his weekly life. I mean, we prepare ourselves to come to this. We pray daily, hopefully, for our church. We pray before we get here. We make sure we bring our Bible. And if we take, if you're one of those that takes notes, you make sure you have that stuff with you also. And you have a concern about your life and about your, the, the way you live. And you're responsible to hear what you hear and to deal with it. You don't have to believe it because the preacher said it. But if what the preacher said is true, you have no option. You have zero options. If that's what it says, that's what you're supposed to do. And if he's preaching that, then that's the way it's supposed to be. How many people just come on Sunday mornings? Now, I'm not talking about those that, that can't get here all the time every week. You know, we got some that drive two hours every Sunday morning, get up in the dark just to be here for Sunday morning service. And they got all that day, all that drive home, and others drive an hour or so to get here. We got people, local people, that, don't, that wouldn't drive 10 miles to get here. Most of them do. Most of them do. But in a lot of churches, that's not true. Why is it that people will attend a Sunday morning service but not a Wednesday night service? What is actually wrong with Wednesday nights? Is it a haunted night? Is it too dark at night on Wednesdays? What is it about Wednesdays? What has made us think that, you know, I should be there on Sunday because I'm a member? My lifestyle will affect somebody. If I'm not there, maybe they'll think they don't have to be there. Read what Paul said about you being your brother's keeper and we being responsible for each other. Some people don't realize that you are an example to other people, especially your children. Because when daddies don't want to go to church and they have children, children realize real early that it's not necessary to be in church because my daddy didn't go. So they go when they want to. They're going to learn that and they're going to grow up like that and instill their children the same way. We're all examples to somebody. And if you're not obligated and committed to the Lord to being there, at least I'm here and I'm going to be here to, to listen. Somebody, there might be somebody watching me. Somebody might be watching you tonight. I know people are watching. I've had people talk about some young folks holding hands in church, not married. Has that ever happened? Or text messaging during a service? Now, would that ever happen in a meeting like this? Would anybody ever text message? Surely not. 
Would they ever? Just God help you if your vibrator quits working and your phone ringer comes on. You'd just be surprised. The attitude, listen, the attitude that people have about being in a meeting. It's just not a big deal. And if I don't want to listen, here we go. If I don't want to listen, I don't have to. If I don't want to agree with you, I don't have to. If I don't want to bring my Bible or open my Bible up or look at my Bible, I don't have to. How did you get that attitude? You know, the best thing that could happen to you, you get saved. The best thing that could happen to you, you get saved, get born again. Then you let go of his hand and you turn your thumb talker off. You know what I mean, thumb talker. Text messages. I think text message in church is a way of showing a lot of dishonor to not only people around you, but to your pastor. I do. I think it's a very dishonorable thing to do, especially if somebody told you to turn it off. It just shows the nature that you still have and how it comes out of that nature, your attitude. It just shows. But see, you would never get caught like that unless you became a part of a local assembly. You keep running around to all of them, nobody will ever catch you. And nobody will ever know what kind of a person that you actually are. But God puts you somewhere because he wants to deal with you there. And when you have the average church mentality today, you have an indifferent attitude towards a pastor. You like him as long as he leaves you alone, doesn't step on your toes. You like him as long as he's pleasant to hear, but not too long. If he says something that you don't like or something comes up, the attitude is he's only an employee. He's just an employee. I know two people on the pulpit committee. We can get rid of him because a, a paid preacher, a hireling can be hired and he can be fired. Either he functions to please the people or he functions to please the Lord. If he pleases the Lord, he'll upset the people until they get right. If he pleases people, he'll upset the Lord and he's in trouble. But to a lot of people, I've heard them say that, ain't no preacher going to tell me, what, who's that preacher think he is? Because they have a, a small view of who the preacher is. Now, concerning the preacher and the New Testament church, let me ask you a question. It's what we'll deal with tonight. What constitutes, I ask, have you joined yourself to a local assembly? What constitutes a New Testament church? I mean, where is one? Well, actually, it has two main components and one main function. Multi-function, multi, more than one function. It has two main components and one function. The first component is that it has members. It'd be tough if a man said, I'm called to preach, and every day he walked in an empty building and preached to chairs. That's not a church yet. A church has, remember, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered. He didn't have exactly a large following. The ones who followed him were only 12 of them. And when they could find him, a bunch of others tried to follow him. But you've got to have members. These members are called sheep. They are to follow because they don't know where to go. They don't know what to think of what's out there. It is the job of a pastor to give them information and to, 
and to be used of the Lord to enlighten them as to what is right and what is wrong, what is error, and what to be careful of and what to, what to believe. It's the job of a pastor, but that's the second component, is a leader, a pastor, a shepherd, an elder. The Bible uses several words to describe what I would think is the same office. I think there are three Greek words and there are five English words which tell us what a shepherd is or a pastor or an overseer or a bishop. Somebody who leads the people, who stands in front of the people, the word rule. The word rule, uh, as we might see in just a minute here, uh, the one who rules the people doesn't mean he rules by force. He rules by consent. The people have to accept his rulership. And the word rule means to superintend, to oversee, to watch over, to make sure things are in order and that things are as God would have them as best you can do it. That's what a ruler does. He's one who leads. Let me say a few things about that because the, the purpose of the church the purpose of this pastor and these sheep, the shepherd and the sheep, the purpose is so they can learn and grow and become informed and witness that information with their lives to the world. And we learn a lot of things. We have a lot to testify to. Our light is supposed to shine throughout the whole world. We are, as our text was going to be, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. You didn't always have that hope, but as you begin to learn, God showed you a better way, a new way. You're enjoying it, and people can see the difference in your life. And as you are instructed, you also instruct. As you have been taught, you should also be able to teach and help and, help and, and inform other people. But first of all, a religious leader... A religious leader is usually one who is in the confines of an institutional church. That is, a church that is organized. It has bylaws and committees. It has a board, a board that is elected by the congregation to, to run the church. Now, I was on a board once in a Christian church, so I, I'm experienced with this. The board was elected by the congregation for terms, maybe four-year term or two-year term. And we also elected elders in the church whose primary duty was to pray over the communion each Sunday and distribute that. And we voted on deacons every two years. And then we voted on trustees to oversee the property and taking care of, of the business end of the church. So our church was basically run like a business, a business which had checks and balances, <clears throat> so that nobody could just take over because your office tenure only lasted uh, two to four years at the, at the most, and so you couldn't just take over. And the church had bylaws, and it was very businesslike. And when we met and had our business meeting, our church meetings, we had our secretary of the church, and we used Robert's rules of order. I nominate, and you had to say certain words the right way, and this would all be recorded as a part of our annual meeting. It was a business. We have a business report. How much money did we make this year? How much money came in? I remember our old church before we built a new church had a little wooden thing on this side. Maybe y'all grew up in a church like ours, and it'd tell you every week what the attendance was last week, how much money came in. Oh, and the bulletin, later on, you got this at the door when you came into the church. Uh, one of the deacons would give you a bulletin, and it would tell you how much money 
and all of that and who came and who's in the hospital and what we're going to do this week and what time the sewing circles meet and, and all of that. So we were up to date on what the, what the business is, is doing. That is typical of an institutional church. Uh, most people in most religious situations, in Christian situations, have never heard, never conceived in their mind that a b- group of people would come together with one man in charge. Well, how do you vote? We don't. Well, what, 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 what if you have problems? Well, he's, that's his job. Who? The, the preacher. The preacher does it all? Yeah. What about all your money? He, that goes to him. And he pays all the bills and pays taxes on all this money. All this money. And, and he's responsible for all of that. See to it that everything's taken. Well, how much does he get? We don't know. He never has told us. Been here for how many years? How many years have I been here? 30, 20 something? Never has told us. Nobody knows. It's a mystery. <laughs> and yet, again, the average person in the average church said, You mean to, t- wait a minute. You mean to tell me that you don't have a you don't have a board that oversees him? Well, I didn't say that. I personally made myself accountable to an advisory council. That if they saw something that needed to be fixed or I got in trouble or I was out of order, I gave them the right, wrote it down. We had a meeting, gave them right, read it all out. They have a right to meet and dismiss me from this, from this place. I guess I could dismiss one of them. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> It's not like what a lot of people think, but on the other hand, it is like what a lot of people think. We don't vote. Therefore, we've never had a split over a vote. Because when you start voting, you start splitting. When you get one on this side, not liking to vote on one on this side, you got a problem in the church. Man-made problem. We have no confusions. We have no problems. Nothing is complicated about that. One of the hardest things I'll have to do when the day when I step down from here is turning us over to somebody that I can trust. See, I guess you'd say I trust myself because I know how I feel about what I'm doing as far as taking advantage of people and seeing how much money I can get out of you. If I was doing that, we'd have been gone a long time ago. I enjoy what I'm doing because I know this is where God put me, whether there's a lot or a little. Doesn't matter. Because if I'm where I should be, saying when I'm supposed to be, God will take care of everything. And he does. He really does. He does that wonderfully. In the institutional church, you have a business. The preacher is hired. The preacher is fired. He is told by members in the church that he's supposed to be over. He is told by them what he can do and what he cannot do, where he will live, how much money he gets, when he can go on vacation, how long he can be gone, and what his duties are. Because he is an employee of that church. That's true with almost all churches. And there's not one instance of that kind of government in any church in the Bible, in the New Testament. Not even one. But see, that's what man has done. And the reason we've set it up like that in the church, the reason it's a man-made assembly, is because we don't trust each other. You're not going to let a preacher have his way because what if he corruption? What if he gets all the money and runs off with it? Well, I could have done that a long time ago. You know, we can't have a deacon and an elder or this one doing that. We've got to be able to have checks and balances because we don't trust each other. We're Christians. We don't trust each other. 
You should have said something there. But in the end, God holds us accountable for what, what I've said, what I've done. What I've done that you don't know about, private life, money, decisions. I have to give an account for everything I've done here. I have to give an account for all the things I've said, as well as you have to give an account for all the things that you've heard. If you heard things that are true and you didn't want to do it, then judgment belongs to you. If I say things I shouldn't say because I'm trying to take advantage of you, judgment belongs to me. Our hearts have to be right in all that we do. I have to trust you. You have to trust me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 about this shepherd thing. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. See if this is in your Bible. Remember them which have the rule over you. Now, rule again means the oversight, the superintendency, the uh, oversight of your life. Remember him, them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their manner of life. Is that an example? This message would be easier to preach if I went somewhere else. But we're here, and I want you to know this because this is important. The Bible says, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the good word of life, whose faith follow, because that's a regard that you should have for that office. Verse 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you. How offensive is that? Let me ask you something. Let me ask you all a question. Just think about this. In the average church in America, in the average church in America, I've been in a lot of them, how many people would tolerate the idea that a pastor would have the rule over the people? Rule, I mean the oversight. The spiritual oversight of people to show them what to do and how to do it and for them to obey him. That's what it said. Does your Bible say that? Obey them that have the rule over you. And what? And submit yourselves. Why? What's the big deal about them? For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. How's that? How would that be unprofitable for me? Because they pray. The preacher has this call. If he's legitimate, he's called. You can't train a man to be a pastor. You can send him to school and let him graduate, but he's either called and anointed or he's not. You can learn to do a lot of things in which there's no anointing in what you're doing, and it just becomes a, a stagnant and stale thing. Or you can take a man who is called, whom God anoints, whether he's been to school or not, there's an advantage of learning things in higher education in, in a seminary setting. There's an advantage of learning languages and archaeology and, and a lot of things about history. I mean, there's an advantage there, but none of that anoints you. It's good to know. It's good for people to learn those things also. But God did not say that you had to do that in order to preach. A preacher is somebody who obviously when they speak or when they function, your heart's touched by it. 
something goes off inside of you that, that you can't deny that that's right. Well, thank you. That's true. Man, that's true. I need to hear that. Because that's not a word that's going to put you to sleep or make you indifferent because it affects your heart. You get convicted. You experience things in your heart. But he said, obey them that have the rule over you. Whose faith follow? Again, this message would be easier if I was somewhere else tonight. I don't know a lot of preachers today whose faith I would follow. I don't. I'm not saying anybody's bad. I'm just saying that there's so much fear in the pulpit about their body, about sickness and disease and about money and about tomorrow and about the events that are forecast and prognosticated tomorrow and all these things that people just talk about fear all the time. Listen to talks, all these political talk shows. They, they breed fear and negativism. That's not what you should learn in church. You, that's not what should be taught you when you assemble together. That's not what God is teaching today. That's not the lifestyle that God wants to endorse. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. He just said, obey them that have the rule over you. Let me ask you a question. Again, this isn't easy to say, but I've got to say it. Do I have the rule over you? Ooh. Do I make you all do what you do? No. So if I don't rule you like that, do I? How many times have I met you off the door when you came into church and took your wallets out and got what I wanted out of it? <laughs> how many messages have we heard about how much you ought to give? If you don't give, we, can't, we just can't meet anymore. It doesn't cost much to meet in this place. There's been no pressure like that on you. It's all about the kingdom of God and his way of life. And you got to hear that because when you hear that, your life changes to be like that. And God begins to get glory from your life because it's something that he can endorse. Well, that's the preacher's job. You're supposed to see that. The pastor becomes somebody who's anointing. It's not him. He's just a person. Paul said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. That's the difference the anointing makes. They even accused Paul about his appearance as weak, and he's a little old gnarly-looking something, weak in his bodily presence. His speech wasn't good. But when he spoke, lives got touched, and they changed. People's lives got turned around. They got convicted. That's what God does. That's the kind of man that a New Testament church should have. Now, smooth speech, enticing words of man's wisdom, eloquent speech, people like that. It's an entertaining thing to hear somebody put together words in, in a fancy or a lovely way and words that you just like to hear. Boy, did he speak that well? What did he say? I don't know what he said, but I like the way he said it. That's not the anointing. That's just something else. But he said to us in the church, obey them to have the rule over you, whose faith follow. He said, so that they can do this with joy, that they have to give an account for your souls. Does that mean that I'm responsible for you? What if you don't care if I am or not? I still am. And if you're a hard head and a difficult person, I have to pray. 
if the elders ones whose prayers you covet, you know, when the Bible says, if any man be sick, call, uh, call the elders as well. There was a reason they called the elders of the church. They were supposed to be men who, who had faith and who could pray. And he, now he says, now if they pray, and you're one of those kind that are trying that when he prays for you, he says, I thank you, Lord, for that soul. I thank you for her, and I thank you for him, and I thank you for the work that they're, their attitude, their heart. I thank you for the, for the good way they're always trying to do better. Do you suppose God would hear that? Say, hope so. Yeah. And what if you're one of these people that, you know, maybe you come, maybe you don't. Maybe you're here, maybe you're not. Maybe you want to, maybe you don't. Maybe you can, maybe you can. Do you suppose you could pray about that? What well, said, Lord, and we'll pray about Josie Lou. I know there's nobody in this church named Josie Lou. Nobody in tape land named Josie Lou. It's not even tapes anymore. Nobody in disc land. Lord Josie Lou, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with her. She's abrasive and she's difficult and half the time doesn't act like they care and I hear all this stuff that they're saying and doing and, and Miss Church, do you suppose that would be a prayer you would want prayed for you? Would you want a prayer prayed to God about you, about how hard-headed and difficult you are? Heavenly Father, I can't do anything with her. I ask you to deal with her. You want that? God says, all right, I'll deal with her. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you what the book says. I'm just telling you what your Bible said right there in verse 17. The end of it says that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For, is your Bible saying verse 17, that would be unprofitable for you? Why? Because God will hear your prayer and deal with people. Well, that's kind of fear preaching, isn't it? Well, the Bible said save some with fear in the book of Jude. It's meant to be informative. If it convicts people, so, so be it. If you're one of those people who say, well, I'm trying my best, and he knows it was in good shape. But look also in 1 Peter chapter 5. Just go to the right there a couple of books. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. This is what he said. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Now what does that mean? That means that we come in here twice a week and have a potluck supper in the back and I pay for it. Doesn't mean that at all, does it? What did Jesus tell Peter to do? He said, feed my sheep. He didn't mean feed them physically. It's just it's a figure of speech, metaphor. He said, feed my sheep. What do you feed them? The good word of God. You prepare yourself. You learn what it says. You examine yourself, see if you believe what you're going to say, and then you say it. And you say it with your passion, with your heart, not because you're paid to. I'm not paid to do anything. You say it because it's what God called you to do. Whether they listen or not, you say it. That's what you're called to do. This is what laboring in the word means. Labor means you find out what you believe, you learn what it's about, and then you teach that. 
may not be the best teacher in the world, but you teach what you got. And you trust God for the anointing that makes people learn. I can't learn you, but God can. He goes on to say, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Interesting that the word heritage there is our word for clergy. Kleros is, I don't know how they got clergy and laity. That's not even biblical as far as the context is in today. But over God's heritage, kleros. Notice, this is the duty of a pastor, a leader, a bishop. He is to feed the flock of God. He is to take the oversight of them, whether they like it or not. He is to oversee the flock to make sure things are in order, that when people are hurt, you deal with it, and when people are out of whack, you go deal with that. Taking the oversight, not because you're getting paid to do it, but willingly do it. You'd never do this for money. This is not a way to make money. I'm sure a lot of ministers have made a lot and have tried and have used the, the, the passions of people and the way they do things, singing things, or the way they preach to get more money out of people. But this is not what you do. You don't do what we're doing tonight to make money. You do it because it's a call on your life, and God will hold you responsible for whether or not you do it as you should. You're supposed to feed the people. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. You're not far from it. Go backwards. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And look at verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, if I'm reading this right, one of the things that goes with being a pastor is that there's no salary. People don't get together and decide how much they're going to pay you because you can't pay somebody who is called and who takes willingly the oversight of you. You're not hired to do it. You didn't hire me. Let the elders that rule well from your side be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Maybe some did that then more than others did. You couldn't say that if somebody was on a strict salary. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. Look at it one more from another angle. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What would happen in an average church? It's the average general Methodist Baptist Presbyterian church. If the preacher said, I'm only going to live by free will offerings. I will not take a salary. A preacher years ago wanted to hire me as being a youth director in church, and I said, I'd be glad to. He said, well, how much are you going to pay? I said, I'm not doing this for pay. And I didn't have a job. I wasn't teaching school then. I didn't know where the next nickel was coming from, but I wasn't going to get it that way. I knew enough then to know that. I said, well, just put the bucket in the back, and whatever the people who come, whatever they want to do, that's what I'll live on. And he said, well, they won't give you anything because people won't do that. I said, well, then I'll do it for nothing. I did. I think the first night I did this, as I remember, it's a $5 bill in there because somebody felt sorry for me. I guess he watched back there and everybody walked by the little offering buck. It had never been done before. Christian church had never functioned like that. It never operated that way. That was a different principle. The idea that let those who labor in the word be worthy of that was unheard of. 
You just ignore those kind of scriptures and you do it the way it has been established. What would happen if suddenly people got a hold of this and you had your regular offering on, my, on Sunday mornings with the little, the little gold or silver pans that they passed around or the sock or the bucket, whatever they use? What if everybody said, well, I'm going to support the preacher? And the church wound up one Sunday morning, had $65 in their offering, and the preacher, the free will offering, everybody else gave him the rest of it. What do you reckon would happen in a church? In the established church. Well, they'd meet. They would say, brother, you cannot live like that. You're running the church. So, he said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you don't want to give to me, put another bucket back there. I mean, put another bucket back there and put something else on it. I remember one time here, there was, might be a question whether people didn't think it was right for the preacher to get the offering. So I said, put another bucket back there. Put a building fund bucket. If you don't want, if you don't want the preacher to have it, put it in the building fund box. That way, everybody's good. And it, nothing changed. But it didn't matter. But in the average church, there's so many bills. They owe so much money for the structures they borrowed for, which we don't even believe in borrowing. And they borrowed so much money. They got so much debt. They've got all this money that has to come in. And they couldn't afford money not to come in. They got to keep their people. Got to keep them giving. You can't say what they need to hear because they'll be offended by it. Then comes along a group like ours, us, you poor folks. And we just say, listen, we're not taking up offerings. We're not going to ask anybody to give. If you want to give, well, there are two buckets back there. Now, if you put it in the, the lower bucket, I get it. If you put it in the big bucket on top, you get it. So, you know, you make up your mind before you come. I'm not asking for a nickel or a dime. But the opportunity to give is offered if you want to give. Nobody know how much you gave. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's passed the pan to make you feel convicted or you have to give grudgingly. You give as you please, if you want to, as you want to. And if God has blessed you a bunch, then as the Lord has prospered you, you give. And if you don't want to do that, nobody will know it. You're free for a while anyway before the Lord. So you teach people. Be responsible to God for what he's given you. Most of the money that comes in our church comes in cash. Most of it. I can't tell who to go out there and rub on. It's just, it's just different. I mean, I'm glad of that. But I don't count it anyway. We got a treasure. She counts it. She just gives me whatever's left. That's fine. Because that's what I chose many years ago to live on. And I think it's scriptural. I think that's the way we should live. But there's such a fear today and such anxiety over money. And yet when I started out, money, whew, there wasn't much of it. They, they hadn't printed any yet. It was a change. But in 1 Corinthians 9, have you found it? Look at verse 6. Paul's talking here, really, this chapters 8 and 9 is about giving. And he says, Our eye only and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? Are we the only ones? Do we have to go out and build tents to support ourselves? Or should you support us for what we're doing? Now, see, that sounds, oh, man, but he's bold. Who goes to war at any time at his own charges? 
Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit of it? Or, or who feeds a flock and doesn't eat of the milk of the flock? Now say all these things as a man, or does the word of God say this? For it is written in the law of Moses in the context of giving. He said, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. If there's a whole lot of corn thrown in there and he's working hard, then it's his, isn't it? Don't answer that. Does God take care for the oxen or saith he, it, saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he that ploweth, that means preach here, feeding, he that is feeding the flock should feed in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope. Notice verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? If we have given you the most precious treasure there is, is it, is it a great deal if the money you give us for doing it? Doesn't the Galatians still say, let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teaches in all good things? Of course it does. Paul just, he made a point of it. Verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live by means of the gospel. As I said a long time ago, a salary will just make you bored. You'll get to the place where you're going to get paid anyway. They owe you the anyway come Monday or Sunday whenever they get to, I don't know when the churches will get paid, when they take out your income taxes and all the, and they pay your health plans and all of that. I don't know how they do that. But after a while, it's just a job. It's not a passion. It's a job. As long as you keep everybody calm, you got a good, good paying job, you got a place to live. You don't have to say anything unique or you don't have to say anything. You just have to say what they like to hear and say it with gusto so that if they bring visitors, they'll like your church because you're just a paid man doing what pleases people, making everybody happy. And when you do it differently, that they just drop their jaws. You mean to tell me that you don't even have a pulpit committee to watch him? And folks say he would be a boring man to watch. Ask his wife. We don't need to watch him. Just like when they built the tabernacle in the Old Testament, First Chronicles 29, David gathered together all these millions of dollars and, and billion dollars in gold, and they gave it to the workmen. And they said, the workmen need not to give an account for they are faithful. We're not even going to check and see what they're spending on. We trust them. Well, that's the way it is, should be in the New Testament with God's people. But anyway, this is what a local assembly, I believe, a New Testament assembly should be like. Just as I have a, a grave responsibility to be here and to share with you what I believe the Lord gives, you have an equal responsibility to be here and receive what the Lord offers you. Something is given, something can be received. If it's something important that is given, then it's something important to receive. And you can't receive it if you're not here. And if you're more to do about a TV program or an ignorant ball game of some sort rather than the Lord, that's your choice. That's your choice. That's the example you're setting for the rest of us and your family. And consequently, the church will either stagger along and stumble around and get by or it'll grow 
It'll thrive and God will bless it. Amen. Now, one more thing I want to share with you on this subject and we'll get to it next week. The question is, how does a person become a member of a New Testament church? How do you become? Do you just come in here and join? The devil could do that. Or maybe you're born. You're born to parents in this church, therefore you're a member. No, that's not true either. That would mean if that's all there was in a church would consist of a lot of unborn again people. Would the church be full of born again people or unborn again people? Is this not an assembly of saints? Not ain'ts? Amen. Amen. Now greet somebody and say, I'm glad I came. You're free to go. God bless the whole bunch of you. Amen. <laughs>